Welcome to another one of our Bible studies on the book of Daniel. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. You're in for a fascinating evening of Bible study. But before we launch into our Bible study, we've got a number of questions that have come in. And uh, our producer, George Washington Deverage, has just uh, emailed them to me. So let's go over some questions, then we'll have prayer. I want to remind you as well that invite your friends to join you on Wednesday night for these inspirational Bible studies. You'll find that you look forward to these Wednesday nights, that the Spirit of God will touch your heart, that you'll grow in Christ and grow in a knowledge of his word. Thank you for your questions. Now remember how to send the questions to us. We'll put up on the screen if you have any questions from this week or the past. Uh, you send it simply to info at hopelives365.com. Any questions, hope lives, uh, info at hopelives365.com. So here's we start. Uh, first question, why is 10 mostly used in chapter 1? Like, for example, in verse 12, 10 days, verse 20, 10 times. This is from Uganda. What does 10 represent in the Bible? I want you to think of some of the times 10 is used in the Bible. What is a tithe? A tithe is one-tenth, where God invites us to dedicate one-tenth of our income to him for the glory of his name. So 10 there represents dedication when it comes to income. What about the 10 commandments? They invite us to be dedicated to God in each area of our life. Remember in the Bible, in Matthew 25, it talks about the 10 virgins. Ten virgins uh, not defiled by falsehood or error. 10 virgins indicate a call to God to his last day people to be dedicated to him. So when you come to Daniel, this idea of 10, 10 days that Daniel fasted and asked for the uh, diet. Uh, he purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. He asked for a vegetarian diet for those 10 days. He fasted from, of course, when I say fasted, he didn't take the wine, didn't eat the meat, um, but he had a vegetarian diet. 10 days of dedication of his body. Um, they were found 10 times better than all the, the uh, wise men in the realm. Again, dedication in the area of mental intellect in the university. So when 10 is used in the positive sense, it's used in the idea of dedication. Now, there are times that 10 is used in the negative sense, which would be the opposite of dedication, which would be rebellion against God. You find that in uh, Revelation 17, for example, we have the uh, 10 kings and the false unity that takes place, union of church and state and so forth, uh, apostasy from God. You also, in Daniel, find the ten toes of the image, a society that is so weak that it's crumbling because it's rejected God's way. So ten, typically, if it's used in the positive sense, dedication. Negative sense is lack of dedication or rejection or rebellion against God. Um, let's look at some more questions. Here's number two. My son is interested to join the study. I'm just wondering if you've recorded the Revelation study and would like to see it. Uh, thank you for your help, Sherry. Yes, Sherry, we have. Uh, you just, if you want to do that, uh, go to Hope Lives 365, and then um, you go from there to the inventory of past studies, 
and you'll be able to uh, certainly get the Revelation studies. If you have any questions about that, of how to get them, just write a question to our staff at hopelives uh, at uh, info at hopelives365.com if you have any problems getting them. Uh, somebody said, how do I get the study notes on Pastor Finley's study on the book of Daniel? We'll put that up here so you get the study notes. Hopelives365.com forward slash weekly Bible study. So if you want the study notes, hopelives365.com weekly Bible study. Here's from Cecil. It comes from Facebook. He said, I have two questions for Pastor Mark. Did Jesus complete salvation on Calvary? And can you be a Christian if he didn't? Yes, Jesus did complete our salvation on Calvary. The atonement was complete on Calvary. Christ paid it all. I love the old song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. The shed blood on Calvary provides complete salvation for us. But it is not until we accept that that we can receive that salvation. Christ's work of salvation, his, his, the price he paid was complete on Calvary's cross. But after Jesus died and was resurrected, he ascended as our high priest into heaven. So we come to Jesus, our high priest, who applies the benefits of what he did on the cross to our names individually. So can anything be added to what he did on the cross? No. But is our work of salvation complete on the cross? Our work of salvation is complete only as we accept what Christ has done on the cross and only as we receive, we, we personally receive the benefits of that salvation by coming to Jesus, who is our living high priest. Jesus died for us. Jesus lives for us. And uh, we must have the dying Christ, but also the living Christ. His death on the cross is complete. Nothing can be added to the atonement there. But to receive that, we come to the living priest and receive the gift of salvation. Okay? Um, here is one that uh, talks about, does the kingdom that God sets up apply to the church or the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? I'm sure the verse itself in shows it, the church may not be applied, but just wanted more explanation. Sure. There's another one there, too, that was kind of interesting. Um, somebody asks uh, if the stone cut out without hands signifies the 144,000 mentioned in Revelation 7 and 14. Let's go to the text itself. So that question sometimes is raised, and we look at Daniel chapter 2, and uh, when the image is, when the vision is given, uh, Daniel talks about this great image in chapter 2, the splendid is, its uh, splendor was excellent. This is verse 31. Verse 32, the image's head was of fine gold, its chest in arms of silver, its belly and thighs of brass, its legs of iron, feet of part of iron and clay. Then notice, you watched till a stone was cut out without hands. Without hands, this is something divine. The stone, it struck the image, so it strikes it on its feet, and the iron and clay breaks them to pieces and uh, dissolves them. And the stone that strikes them, according to verse 35, becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. Now notice verse 44. In the days of these kings, that is the divisions of the Roman Empire, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. The kingdom won't be left to other people. It'll consume and break all pieces, 
all these kingdoms. It'll stand forever. So the vision of Daniel 2 is not peace and love coming to earth through the church, but it is rather a cataclysmic destruction, a cataclysmic destruction that takes place. The rock cut out without hand smashes the image down. And so this represents, of course, Jesus Christ, the rock of ages, the one who returns as king of kings and lord of lords, not the 144,000, not the church on earth, but it is the divine coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to destroy evil and wickedness. And I think that's as far as we'll go today. Um, some of our other questions that you have asked, somebody asks about biblical sources to confirm dates that you give in the study. Yes, there are sources in the Bible and outside of the Bible, in fact, and I'll ask our team to send you some of those sources and answer to those questions. So if you didn't get your question answered tonight, I'll either answer it next week or we'll send one of our team, we'll have one of our team email you the answer. Thank you for your questions. Again, if you have any questions, please, um, you can write them to info at hopelives365.com. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you with all of our heart that the word of God is true that it is trustworthy, that it is reliable. As we study Daniel, the ancient prophet of the past, help us learn lessons that enable us to understand your will for our lives personally. As we go into Daniel chapter 3 tonight, speak to our hearts, impress our minds, draw us close to you, we pray thee in Christ's name. Amen. You'll recall that we're looking at three things in every chapter of the book of Daniel. What does this chapter say about God? What does it say about my life today? What does it say about end time events? We studied chapter one. We saw that Daniel and his friends were taken into captivity by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. We saw that Daniel was faithful to God and that at the end of chapter one, we discovered that Daniel and his friends were 10 times wiser than anybody in the Babylonian realm, all the wise men. Chapter one reveals the God who turns defeat into victory. That's what it says about God. What does it say about my life today? It says that when we're faithful to God, he will work miracles in our life that we cannot imagine. What does it say about end events? It says that God is calling us to faithfulness in a world that is like Babylon in a world that's sex-centered, thrill-jaded, morally twisted, in a world where the Babylonian culture of the world tries to squeeze it into its, uh, us into its mold with media, with Hollywood's productions, with the worldly system. It calls us to be faithful to God. Daniel chapter 2. We looked at it last week, the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. You don't have to guess what that dream represents. The Bible tells us Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of an image, head of gold, breast and arms of silver, thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. Your kingdom, Babylon, after you will rise another kingdom, Medo-Persia, then Greece, then Rome, and then Rome will be divided, the Roman Empire, in 10 divisions. Then the rock cut out without hands. We find history, following the image of Daniel II like a blueprint. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom crumbled as the Medes and Persians 
attacked it and destroyed it. And uh, they ruled. Then the Greeks overcame the Medes and the Persians. Then the Romans overcame the Greeks. Somebody asked, where can you find these dates? They are well known in history. Gibbon's Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire outlines the fall of Rome. And it talks about the divisions of the Roman Empire, the tribes. But any standard history, you can find that Babylon ruled the world from 605 to 539 BC. Greece, uh, Medo-Persia ruled from 539 to 331 BC before Christ. Greece ruled from 331 to 168. The Roman Empire ruled from about 168 to 351, 168 BC to 351 AD. Then from 351 to about 476, the barbarian tribes came down, attacked and destroyed the Roman Empire. When you look at Daniel 2, Daniel 3, Daniel 4, they really are a unit. In Daniel chapter 2, God's the true prophet. He holds this world in his hand. Wisdom and might are his. He knows the future, and he's the architect of the future. So in Daniel chapter 2, he's the true, true prophet. Daniel chapter 3, he is the priest. He's the interceder. He's the one who intercedes for his people. He leaps into the flames to protect in Daniel chapter 4, he's the, he's the true king. So he's prophet, priest, and king. Daniel 4, as we study next week, he throws he allows Nebuchadnezzar to go off his throne. Nebuchadnezzar crawls around for seven years as the beast, uh, eating grass and uh, feeding with the animals. So he, Daniel reveals God is the true prophet, the one that knows the future. God is the true priest who intercedes for us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he is the true uh, king. He is the one that rules over all. In chapter 2, he's the revealer. He reveals the future. Chapter 3, he's the redeemer. He redeems his people. Chapter 4, he's the ruler. These chapters give us amazing pictures of God, and they give us confidence in God. Now we come to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is critical for our understanding because it reveals to us events that happened in the days of Daniel and events that will happen just before the coming of Christ. So you remember in chapter two, we read about a great image. The images had a head of gold, breasts and arms of silver, thighs of brass, legs of iron, representing the successive nations that would rule the world, that dominate the world, and then the divisions of the Roman Empire. So let's go to chapter 3. We also have an image, but it's quite a different image. Daniel 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. So its height is 60 cubits. How long is a cubit? Well, from the end of the elbow to the tip of the finger, that was considered to be a cubit, usually about 18 inches. So if you've got 60 cubits, approximately 90 feet. If you're long and skinny, it could go up to 100, 103 feet. Uh, then it goes, it says that it is um, six cubits wide. That's nine feet wide, about. So you got to, uh, but there's a little something strange there. If something is uh, 100 feet tall and it's uh, nine feet wide, uh, the proportions of that are just just not good. They're, they're, they're wrong. Um but people have said, wait a minute, this must be a legend. It must be fictitious because the purport. No, take the um, Statue of Liberty. What's the Statue of Liberty? About 300 feet or so, 305. 
But when you me measure the statue of it, you measure it from the bottom, include the pedestal, and then you have the statue. So it's it's the same here. No doubt the the total from the ground to the top was about 100 feet, 90 to 100 feet, but you had a pedestal that uh, was on the bottom of it. So the proportions would be right, not uh, way out. You wouldn't have this skinny stick-like figure that if it's uh, 100 feet high and nine there wide, no. Uh, so it, it considers the pedestal. Now, notice something here, two in verse one. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar makes this image all of gold. Why do you think he did that? What do you think his reason was in doing that? Nebuchadnezzar did that for one major reason. God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream of the future in which his empire, Babylon, would be overthrown by the Medes and the Persians. The gold would give way to the silver, then the bronze, the brass, and so the bronze and the uh, iron and the clay. But Nebuchadnezzar said, no, no, that's not going to happen. The image is going to be all of gold because my kingdom is going to rule forever and ever and ever. And, you know, the archaeologists excavating in Babylon found a clay tablet, a cuneiform tablet, and this is what it said. O Babylon, the delight of mine eyes, may my kingdom last forever. So Nebuchadnezzar built this image in defiance of the true God's interpretation of history, in defiance of the true God's plan for the rise and fall of the destiny of nations. So he makes this image 90 feet high to 100. He erects it on the plains of Dura. So the sun glancing off the golden image could be seen from miles away. And then the king summons all of the wise men in his realm. The Bible says he brings his princes, that's satraps in some translations of the Bible, they're princes. He brings the princes, the governors, the astrologers, the magicians, the educated elite, they are all to come. Come to the plains of Dura. We read it here in verse 2. The king Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, that's princes, administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which the king had set up. Anybody that was anybody and everybody that was somebody came to that dedication. And so they came. And the king, the herald, cries aloud, to you it's commanded. Now notice, here is a counterfeit image whose dimensions are 60 and 6. And a universal world leader, Nebuchadnezzar, passes a decree, a command, that everybody should fall down and worship this image. Then a herald commanded, to you it is commanded. Then a herald cried aloud, verse 4, to you it's commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, at what time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, with all kind of music, fall down and worship the gold image that the King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Who set up the image in Daniel 2? Who gave Nebuchadnezzar that dream? God did. Who made the image in Daniel 3? Nebuchadnezzar did. What's the difference? Nebuchadnezzar rejects God's plan. Nebuchadnezzar turns his back on God's plan. Nebuchadnezzar wants to have a kingdom that lasts forever and ever and ever. And he calls all of the wise men of Babylon to come to the plains of Dura. They set up a golden 
they, they, he sets up this golden image and he says, look, the music is going to play. And when the music plays, hit the ground, worship the golden image as a tribute, Nebuchadnezzar says, to my empire, as a tribute to me that I will rule and reign. And after my death, Babylon will go on and it will be the mighty empire to the ends of the earth. True, an image, 60 and 6. A decree that is set, that is, goes forth, a command from a universal world ruler that has to do with worship. It has to do with breaking the commandments of God because the first commandment says, thou shalt not have any other gods before thee. Second commandment, thou shalt not make unto thee a graven image, bow down and worship it. So this command by Nebuchadnezzar was contrary to the command of God. And to bow down would be to violate the commands of God. Is there, in the last days of earth's history, another image that will be set up? Is there a divine decree that will go forth? Is there another command contrary to the commands of God that will call men and women to worship falsely. In contrast to the commandments of God, Revelation describes that in Revelation, the 13th chapter. It says that there would be a beast, calls it the beast. Beast in the Bible is a kingdom, religio-political kingdom that would unite church and state. And in that union of church and state, those that did not worship in a particular way they would face, at first, they'd be unable to buy or sell, then they'd face a death decree. So this chapter, Daniel chapter 3, foreshadows. It points forward to what's going to happen in the last days of verse history. So let's continue as we study. And as we do, we go down to verse 8. Um, because there were three that would not bow down and worship the gold image. Verse 5 says of Daniel chapter 3, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, a symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that the king Nebuchadnezzar set up. But yet there were those that wouldn't bow down. Who were they? Verse 8, therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forth, that's Babylon's, and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everybody needs to bow down. Verse 12, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Notice very interesting language. They don't, they have not paid due regard to you. In other words, they are violating the laws of the state. They cannot go in along in harmony with the laws of the state. And uh, so in the last days of verse history, a powerful world leader works to unite religions and political forces under his auspices. Human beings are commanded to worship contrary to the commands of God, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were commanded to worship contrary to the commands of God. And those that don't worship are accused once again, just like the Babylonians accused the people of God in those days, they're accused. 
And what are they accused to do? They're accused because they don't give due regard to the laws of the state. Now, let me be very clear with you. God invites us as responsible citizens to obey the laws of the state. God invites us and commands us as responsible citizens not to um, over, attempt to overthrow some government. It, as, and, and God invites us to, be, to pray for our governmental leaders. God invites us to be responsible citizens. But there will come a time when the laws of a church-state union, just like it happened in Daniel, compel us to worship in a certain way. When that happens, we have the higher law. Do you remember what it says in Acts? Keep your finger in Daniel chapter 3. You remember what it says in Acts chapter 5? Acts chapter 5. And here, Peter and the disciples are compelled to violate the law of God. And uh, Acts chapter 5 tells how these early Christians handled it. It says in Acts chapter 5 and uh, verse 32, it, put, it, says, it says verse 31 and 32, um, him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And uh, so Peter is saying, we've got to serve Jesus. And then look back at verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, this is Acts 5 verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. There comes a point where if a church-state union compels worship contrary to the commands of God, we ought to obey what? What does scripture say, everybody? God rather than men. So we go back to Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, um, are condemned by the Babylonian forces. Nebuchadnezzar goes in a rage and a fury. He, he commands that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought to him. So they bring him. And um, he says to them, verse 14, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or the image which I've set up? Now, here's something that um, Nebuchadnezzar does that's very wise. He says, is it true? Is it true? Have you ever heard that somebody said that somebody said that somebody said something about you and you get all bent out of shape and all upset because of what somebody said about you but never check with the person? I think uh, Nebuchadnezzar had something wise here. He said, is it true? So often when we are criticized, it's important to get right to the source of truth because then we can repair relationships and not have them broken. In this instance, it was true. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down. You ask, where was Daniel? I don't know where he was, but I know where he wasn't. He wasn't on the plains of Dura. He was not there, maybe because Nebuchadnezzar knew that Daniel was a deep man of God and had interpreted his dream in Daniel too. Maybe he sent him on a diplomatic mission and gave him some uh, diplomatic excuse. I don't know, but that would be my guess. So the king says to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 15, now if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the music, I want you to fall down and bow down to the image I've made. If you're ready, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were ready. They were ready to stand up, not bow down. Verse 16. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to need, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Now notice some people feel, well, isn't that kind of bold? We're not going to answer you. No. What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were actually saying, if you look at the Hebrew construction of this, is we have already made our decision. We would come to the plains of Dura and obey the king's command as far as we could do that without violating our conscience and without disobeying the commands of God. We didn't stay home. We came here, King, but we've already made our decision before we ever came. There are many things in life that you have to make a decision on before your temptation comes. If you make a decision when your temptation is there, you'll likely make the wrong decision. I've told many young people, the way not to get involved in alcohol and have it dominate your life is making a decision ahead of time not to take your first drink. Because if you take your first drink, you're likely to take your second, your third, your fourth. So you have to make the decision ahead of time. I've told young people, look, if you are going to, um, if you're unmarried and um, you are tempted to commit adultery uh, or to, to have premarital sexual relationships with your girlfriend and you're not married, what you have to do is make a decision ahead of time that you're not going to put yourself in an environment where that's going to happen. So you have to decide ahead of time. Uh, and this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They decided ahead of time. They made a firm commitment to God that they would go as far as they could to honor the king's will. But when it came to bowing down to that image, they were not going to do it. So that's what this text means when it says, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in that matter. If that's the case, in other words, if you're going to throw us in the fiery furnace, whom we, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image that you've set up. King, look, we've made our decision. If you want to throw us into that fiery furnace, that's up to you. But look, we are not going to bow down and violate our conscience. We're not going to disobey the command of God that says that uh, you shall have no other gods before you, that you shouldn't bow down to any image. We're not going to do that. We are willing to go into the fiery furnace, and we trust God as we go in there that he will deliver us. But if for some reason he wants to test our faith and we're consumed in the flames, we are still not going to bow down. A couple interesting things from the archaeological standpoint. They're on the plains of Dura. Where would they get this fiery furnace? Well, there were kilns that were made to bake the bricks that um, would go into the making of Babylon. You remember you've got the Ishtar gate in Babylon, and you've got as well Procession Way with hundreds, thousands of bricks. Incidentally, every one of those bricks has Nebuchadnezzar's name stamped on it uh, in Procession Way. So where are those bricks being made? In large furnaces, kilns. So those kilns were available. One of them easily could have been adapted for this purpose. They were large. But there's something else I want you to notice here. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. An expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Therefore, he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than usually heated. Seven times more. How would they do that? In that area, there were oil wells. And uh, so what they would do is take the oil and chaff, get a lot of chaff, throw it into that furnace, throw the oil in and burn it. Why? So that these Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be instantly consumed. So there'd be no way they could get out of there. So the idea was you heat this furnace seven times hotter. You throw the chaff in, you pour the oil in, and you get this thing so hot that even opening the door, you can be singed. And you throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in there. So the Bible says, Daniel chapter 3, then, the, the verse 20, then he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. These men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, or their garments. Because the king's command was urgent, the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Amazing. The furnace is so hot, seven times hotter. Even when you open the door, the heat is so great that you throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, but the people that threw them in were killed because the furnace was heated seven times hotter. What happens to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Notice what scripture says. It says, these three men, verse 23, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the furnace of fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Three are thrown in. They're thrown in bound. Nebuchadnezzar looks in there and he says, I see three men in there. No, 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 it's not three. It's not three. I see four in there. And they are not bound. They're loosed. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. The only thing the flames did was burn the bonds that tied them to earth. There was not a singe of the hair of their head, not singed. Skin, not burned. Garments, not burned. The form of the fourth, like the Son of God. Jesus leapt into their flames. I love that old hymn, Just When I Need Him, Jesus is Near. Just when I falter, just when I fear, just when I need him most. Jesus at times does not deliver us from the flames, but he leaps into the flames to be there with us one night. In the city of Chicago, I was teaching on the book of Daniel in a banquet room in a restaurant there. We had rented the banquet room, and I pointed out, that there are going to be times in your life when you go through the flames. But Jesus may not deliver you before you go through the flames, but it will be with you in the flames. So a lady came to me after and she said, Pastor, Pastor, I needed this tonight. Her eyes were glossed over with tears. And I said, tell me your story. She said, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And many 
of my friends came to me because I'm a committed Christian. They said, just pray and we'll get everybody praying and you'll be delivered from the cancer. Pastor, we prayed and prayed and prayed, but I wasn't delivered. My friends came to me and said, you're not praying hard enough. Pray harder. We prayed harder. Then they said, there must be some sin in your life that's blocking your healing. What's the sin? She said, Pastor, I had three big problems. I had cancer, I wasn't praying hard enough, and I had sin in my life. I said, but tonight I saw that Jesus does not always deliver us from sickness, doesn't always deliver us from disease, but whatever we go through, he's there with us. He leaps into the flames of life with us. He strengthens us. He supports us. He encourages us that there's no temptation taken you, but is common to man that God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able. I love the way it is put here in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Jesus says, well, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. In the book of Hebrews, our Lord says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. How does all this relate to our life today? Whatever trial we face, whatever difficulty we face, whatever challenge we face, however dark the valley, however high the mountain, however rough the road, Jesus is there with us. He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. In the flames of life, he's there. But there's something else I think that's important when it comes to last day events. A universal world ruler passes a universal decree commanding the entire world, it's universal, to worship in a certain way and disobey the commandments of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not bow down to the image, but they're not raptured before the time of trouble. They go through the flames, protected by God in the flames, and they're delivered after the flames. So Jesus himself says to you and me, when a church-state union comes in the future, when decrees are forced to get God's people to bow down, do not worry, do not fear, because I will be with you. I will guide you. I'll strengthen you. I will be there with you as you go through the trouble in the future. Jesus says, take courage, my brother. Take courage, my sister. I will never let you down. I will never let you go. As I leaped into the flames with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and delivered them, so I will deliver you. Look here at the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar, the testimony of a heathen king. It says in verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him. God at times allows us to go through trial so that our trust deepens. Our faith increases who trusted in him. They have frustrated the king's word. They've yielded their bodies that they should not worship or serve. They should not serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree. That any people, nation, or language speaks against anything amidst against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. He still wasn't converted. Uh, he still didn't give them any religious liberty. But notice, because there is no God who can deliver like this. 
There is no God who can deliver like this. I say to you tonight, there is no God like our God. There is no God like Jehovah God. There is no God that can deliver. He is a mighty deliverer. Would you like to open your heart to this mighty deliverer tonight and say, God, I'm going to trust you in the trials of today, but I will trust you in the trials of tomorrow because there is no God that can deliver like our God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you with all of our hearts for the mighty God who delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who went into the fiery flames with them. And thank you that there is no God that can deliver like you. We trust you in the trials of life. We know that you are there with us by our side. And the only thing the trials will do is burn the bonds that tie us to earth. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Now remember, Daniel chapter 2, 3, and 4 are a unit. In Daniel chapter 2, God is the true, help me, prophet. Daniel chapter 3, he is the priest, leaps into the flames of our life. In chapter 4, he is the king. He's prophet, priest, and king. Chapter 2, he's the revealer. He reveals the future. We can trust him. Chapter 3, he's the redeemer. He redeems us. Chapter 4, he is the ruler. Next week, we study Daniel chapter 4. Now remember, if you have any questions, please uh, write them to us, and you can get them at info at hopelives365.com. Happy to answer your questions. Info at hopelives365.com. Now, if you want to get the study guides, all you need to do is go to hopelives365.com forward slash weekly Bible study guide. If you, we have Daniel at the beginning, but then right below Daniel, you'll see the Revelation study guides. You can actually get them both if you want them to continue to study with us. We will be taking you through on Wednesday nights many different books of the Bible. After we get through with Daniel, we'll have more books because I really want you to be anchored in the Word of God as we go verse by verse through these Bible passages. Now remember, invite your friends next week. We have thousands that are listening to this Bible study. In fact, when you add the um, YouTube audience and the Facebook audience, uh, when I looked with uh, our production manager, George, uh, tonight, we had approximately 20,000 people from all of our platforms that watched Daniel chapter 1. Then Daniel chapter 2, of course, is going up as well. So we've got thousands that watch it. Invite your friends. If you've got a blessing, invite them to receive the blessing with you. Until next week, God bless you. May you have a wonderful week knowing that God is a mighty deliverer. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.